Episode 47 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, Frontline, and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, and Kim. Hello. And, you know, Tony and Prue have got lives to leave, apparently. So that's. (laughs) What? Yeah. Apparently, the Champagne Comedy Podcast is not good enough for them. Only kidding. They'll be back in a future episode. <laughs> it just sucks because we kind of needed a Melbourne person on this one, which you'll find out later. Anyway. Ah, uh, we've got oh. Google. It's fine. We have three submissions in back chat. One is a big hello to Rach Summers of Western Australia, who at the time of this recording just discovered the podcast, our podcast, and is starting from the very beginning. So welcome aboard. By the time you probably get to this episode, uh, it'll be a couple of years too late, but (laughs) (laughs) welcome. Thanks, Rach, for uh, reaching out. And also she hit her own nugget of gold at home, finding a VHS tape of the degeneration in her collection. Oh, lovely. Hang on to that one. Yes. So keep on to that. That is uh, really, really hard to find unless you go to a op shop, but don't know the quality from that. Welcome, Rach. And if you've just discovered the podcast as well and you just have to be having to listen to this episode, uh, send us a message and we'll give you a future shout out when you get up to that episode. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) if you haven't lost interest in our ramblings. Now, uh, there's a throwback to the episode where David M. Green from VHS Review came on, and I was meant to mention this in episode 46, but we had so much going on, I couldn't squeeze it in. This one, uh, when David was promoting the podcast on the VHS Review Facebook page, there was someone who made a comment, and that is from Francis McKenna, and where uh, Marty D'Astasio was squatting out front of the gate on the farmhouse right on the yeah. land yeah. well apparently that was this person's house so oh. yeah because when um david had shared our image in our promotional image of the episode where it had marty squatting out front that said oh my god the siege episode was filmed at my house that gate in the background is my front gate my cousin did some locate <laughs> <laughs> my cousin did some location scouting as well as doing work on the production he has photos in his photo album somewhere and charlie the wonder dog came to the farm with the production crew as well for a visit (laughs) wow that's so cool if you have any attachments to any of their show productions that's really really cool to discover that send us the photos yeah come on even if you pass them on to david m green i'm sure he'll pass it on to us uh if we hassle him enough now, the third feedback is uh, from Cameron Davis, who uh, wrote in previously in regards to the Super Mario game that from episode <laughs> one. And like uh, I stupidly did a copy and paste of his entire email uh, <laughs> without summarizing it. So I'm going to read he's this. Been, he, he's been very um, uh, forthcoming about uh, Double Dragon and 
uh, Mortal Kombat and, um, yeah, talking about video games, which, uh, yeah, none of us are video game experts, but, um, yeah, I think uh, next time a video game comes up, we're just going to go straight to Cameron Davis. 100%. So this is a full-on... pedantry, Which is beautiful. It's a great one. <laughs> uh, so he wrote, first of all... Can't wait. Yeah. So this is all about the Siege episode again, and uh, he says there is a real game called Double Dragon, um, and it is about two brothers, Billy and Jimmy Lee, who set out to rescue a kidnapped woman from a local gang member uh, by using their martial arts uh, moves on anyone they encounter. It was first released, (laughs) I do remember this game, I had this on, I think it was the Mega Drive or Master System. Um, and uh, it was first released in the arcades in 1987 and proved to be a massive hit. Uh, spawned off movies, uh, TV shows, etc., a comic book, and even a, a shonky 1994 movie with Alyssa Milano, Scott Wolf, and Terminator 2's Robert Patrick with a peroxide hair. Wow. I've actually got the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, and anyway, uh, the game Dominica showed Brian's kid uh, was indeed the PC home version of Double Dragon, and because of all the sound effects and everything, um, it was the proper one. The... Pedantry part, though, is that when Emma turns off the monitor, the show treats it like he, she just completely turned off the PC um, and the oh, computer yeah. goes completely quiet. Mm. But that's not how computers work, of course, even in 1994 when this was recorded. The game would have been still running and the sound would have still been coming out of the PC. So why did the noise stop right away? I agree with Cam because even though you've got monitors these days where – the sound, you can plug in your sound directly into the monitor or anything like that. Mm. Back in the old CRT days, you couldn't really do that, but I've been proven wrong before. <laughs> Either way, I've got cams back on that one. And, yeah, he just goes on for a fair bit, uh, just in precise detail. It could have been someone who cut their power off at, <laughs> for the PC uh, when Allison slash Emma turns the monitor off or they just got really lucky and there were no enemies near the player see that is like full-on pedantry (laughs) (laughs) and i just i i i didn't think about that either i sort of just like let that slip cameron thank you it just shows that someone else is more pedantic than we are which is what (laughs) this podcast is about (laughs) (laughs) also one more thing um and I, i should have done this earlier right so i this should have been at the, say, the second or third episode of Frontline when we covered it because I was going through my archives and I discovered that Jane Kennedy was on Hey Hey It's Saturday in 94 as a red face as judge to promote Frontline. And Jane Kennedy in the middle uh, featured on the first episode, of course, yeah. of Frontline. Yeah, uh, you'll funny. feature in every episode yeah. most likely at Frontline on uh, Channel 2, 8 o'clock on... Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Monday night. And I like the bit. I mean, we've, we've lifted a bit out of that first episode because it was just a nice bit because we had Ugly Dave on only a couple of weeks That's ago. Right, yeah. and uh, And you had to go and... You had to interview a living legend. Here we go. ...in the Australian entertainment industry. Hey, talking to behinds. <laughs> Come on, make a sad face happy. <laughs> Don't touch me, Dave. Please. Oh, shit, Stu. Hey, Dave, you all right, mate? Just, just the old ticket. Can you change the voiceover from tonight we meet a living legend to tonight we remember a living legend? <laughs> yes, he joined into the fun of it. That's, uh, yeah, obviously, obviously having good fun doing it. 
Well, I think I, I don't have to do anything more in my career now, Daryl, because I have been smacked on the bottom by Ugly Dave, and that's <laughs> oh, a bit of a thrill. I guess so. Now, how are you ahead with the series? Um, oh. We're only two episodes in the can, so... Um, oh, you're working pretty hard then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we've been flat out, yeah. Well, it, had, it, it rated terrifically well the first time, the first yeah, episode, it was, didn't it? it was good. Congratulations was on that. Thanks, yeah. Daryl. Well, there's something I didn't know. I didn't know that they were filming so close to the actual broadcast date, so that's really interesting to learn that. Yeah, tight turnaround. Mm -hmm. And Jane was sitting next to All Together Now's John English, who just happens to appear in front line <laughs> down the track. So Brilliant. maybe from there it's like, hey, ah. we might get you on in a future episode. Mm. Uh, there's only one bit of news uh, for this episode. We're almost uh, up to the first episode of MasterChef Australia debuting, and you know what that means in terms of schedules. We begin tonight with breaking news. A major new development. When you need to know what's happening. Barbara Streisand and Celine Dion have sat in that room there. From here at home, the Temple of Satan is mobilising. And around the world. Good afternoon. Birmingham is a dump. The full story. <laughs> Twelve little ducks went out one day over the hills and into a drain. When it happens... You'll see it first on The Cheap Seats. Mel and Tim are returning to Tuesdays on 10 and 10 Play. It's you know, usually either The Cheap Seats or Have You Been Paying Attention usually comes back the same time as MasterChef. And, um, yeah, The Cheap Seats is out in front, so uh, it returns on Tuesday the 9th of May at 8.40pm-ish, depending on whenever... whenever and Master Chef decides yeah. to finish. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever Master Chef finishes. Yeah, I still record it on my PVR, so I always have to have this <laughs> massive buffer of about half an hour just to make sure it records. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Could you do buffering using G codes? <laughs> ah, yes. I wish I could. <laughs> A very long barcode. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the cheap seats is the first cab off the rank for Working Dog uh, this year. Um, so I'm quite sure Have You Been Paying Attention will be back uh, pretty soon as well. And then uh, it's just all their uh, scripted fare to come in 2023. Yeah, they do have a lot going on with Have You Been Paying Attention, Cheap Seats, Utopia. Mm, thank Utopia. God You're Here. And Thank God You're Here, yep. Mm. And um, in the, even their stage show, which is also in July. Mm. Lots. Absolutely lots. So our podcast will just go on forever and ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus! And back to you, Daniel, for your program guide. All right. Uh, the only thing which um, is in the actual program guide section uh, would be what's happening over on Channel 10 on Healthy, Wealthy and Wise. Peter Werrett celebrates the 30th anniversary of the Mustang. Ross Greenwood takes a novel look at superannuation. Tonya Todman creates a hat box for all occasions. Ooh. <laughs> all occasions. Jim Brown inspects bush and camping gear. Ian Hewitson prepares a beef dish for the barbecue. And Ronnie Burns shows us how to get the best value out of secondhand building materials. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm intrigued by a hat for all uh, occasions. So does that mean that... No, no, a, a hat box. A hat box for all occasions. Oh, just a really big box. <laughs> just fit any kind of that. <laughs> they could fit any kind of occasion into it, surely. Mm. So, um, yeah, mm. that died. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. There was a um, an article uh, which caught my eye in the Sydney Morning Herald Guide, basically mentioning that um, Angry Anderson is putting on a challenge uh, this coming Friday on a current affair. 
raising uh, money for the Spina Bifida Association of Queensland. Yeah, I'm quite sure that, uh, well, that's only caught my eye because we're certainly going to see something like it coming up um, in Frontline and uh, I'm quite sure it would have uh, caught the eye of the writers as well. The only other thing is the uh, weekly antennae gossip section, this week written by Ava Hubble, basically because uh, Shelley Dempsey is, uh, is away for the week. And uh, it contains not one, not two, but three articles about Frontline. Three articles? Well, see, the first one regards the previous episode um, regarding the affront to Peter Luck on Frontline. During last Monday's show, reporter Martin D'Astasio, Terry Mora, advised Frontline host Mike Moore, Rob Sitch, to protect his back and never let anyone stand in for him who is capable of doing his job on a full-time basis. Why do you think everyone gets Peter Luck to do their show for them every summer, D'Astasio asked, because he's no threat to anyone. Immediately after the outrageous piece of insolence, Antenne hit the phone hoping to get Luck's reaction before he was rushed off to the trauma unit. He was out. He explained later that he had been one of many who had missed the show. I did hear about it, though, he laughed. But he is quite happy with his role as the uh, the industry's best known and most sought after locum. I've stood in, and not only in summer, for Bill Peach, Hinch, Robbo, Kerry-Anne Kennelly, and so many others, he added. But you wouldn't remember them all now. Oh, so there you go. So you know what? That's, that's it's, it's like it's an it's an absolute nothing burger of a uh, response, to be honest. Baffling. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it filled up a bit of column time. <laughs> Lost Allison there. <laughs> well, it, I think the the baffling is just you've put the rock, the pop, or the rock music underneath it, and just play, play it again. I, it's brilliant. Thank you, Prue. All right, second item uh, is uh, talking about Frontline uh, reaching uh, foreign shores. Frontline premiered in New Zealand on Wednesday and may soon be seen in the United States. Frontline Productions recently received a fax from Los Angeles-based producers Jack Rollins and Charles Joffe, requesting all available tapes. It seems that an American journalist who saw the show in Australia recommended it to them. A second fax from Rollins and Joffe lobbed at Frontline on Thursday, this one describing the show as one of the best seen in years and requesting permission to represent it in the US. The LA producer's credits include producing Woody Allen films and managing him, as well as several other major names. Meanwhile, Mike Moore is reported to be seriously working on an American accent. <laughs> mm. Didn't it end up on Comedy Central, I think, Frontline? I believe it did, and because yeah. there's a real-life, serious current affairs show on PBS in the US also called Frontline, it was... They had was, to call it Behind the Frontline or something, didn't they? Was it was, breaking it, News? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was one of the two. I'm not quite sure which one, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it did get an alternative title. In the US, it was called Breaking News, and... The other title that you mentioned behind the front line was the documentary of yes, the making okay. of the Australian oh, yes. front line, which every time it gets deleted off YouTube, someone else puts it up. So. Yeah, I saw it there today, actually, because I was looking up where, because actually on Netflix, as of time of writing, it's going off Netflix as of the 30th of April. Oh, really? Uh, Frontline is. So, yeah, there was. I was watching the episode for this um, podcast and it had the little warning saying, you've only got till the 30th and 
It, I didn't see it on iView, so I don't know where else it's available. Well, it was also um, on Stan yeah. uh, as well. So, but then again, this is why you can't rely on streaming services. This is uh, why you get the DVDs. Yes. Yeah, I do. <laughs> thankfully, have the DVD in my hand here, so I, I can revert yeah. to that. But it was it was just handy to have it on streaming. But yeah, that's that, that's that's quite interesting. You, you mentioning about the DVD because this behind the scenes documentary didn't even make it to the DVDs. It's yeah. like it's only on VHS. Yeah, I did see it on YouTube, so have a, have a quick look while it's still there. All right, the last item from the uh, gossip column talks about uh, one of the fans of the show. The good news about Frontline will not surprise Bob Ellis. When Antony caught up with him last week, he pronounced the show the best thing on the box. He was at the party given by the New South Wales Film and Television Office at the Opera House for visiting members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Ellis was just back from research in Vietnam for Mushroom Films' forthcoming big-budget movie about the late Professor Fred Hollows. Ellis mentioned that Ray Barrett had been cast as Fred. Now, I don't remember anything about any uh, Fred Hollows biopic, but Ray Barrett, that's just inspired casting, if you think about it. It's good, you reckon? good casting. Yeah. It's really good casting. But obviously the film never got made because I have no memory of that film either. All right, so let's get on with the episode. Oh, thank you, Daniel. Now, back to you, Daniel, because you're I'm forcing you to do the frontline intro. So are you Okay, I'll do, I'll do my best. Okay, so, all right, let's get the theme going, okay? <laughs> all right, warm yourself up. <clears throat> so, uh, <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm, mm. invested again. <laughs> invested again. Hi, I'm Daniel G. Welcome to Frontline Season 1, Episode 7, which aired on Monday, the 20th of July, 1994. And look, I could just say the title of the episode, but I'd much rather sing it. So here goes nothing. We've got sunlight on the sand. We've got moonlight on the sea. We've got mangoes and bananas. You can pick right off the tree. Shut up, mud diggers. You're ruining my moment. We've got volleyball and ping pong and a lot of dandy games. But what ain't we got? We ain't got dimes! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hang on, that applause was for me. That's bullshit. They love me. There you go. You reckon that's good enough to uh, do at the Adelaide Fringe next year? I'd book the entire Spiegel tent if I were you. <laughs> Two-hour rendition, mate, for Adelaide Fringe. One man, South Pacific. So the synopsis of this episode of Frontline, female viewers are tuning out, so Brian and the team try all the proven, quote, techniques, unquote, to get them back. And in the midst of this feminine push, Brian decides to get rid of Elliot Rhodes, their Friday night funny man, and that's a task that is proving more difficult than he thought. So this one is partial love to good old Elliot. The episode uh, does open with Elliot performing the North Korean conga, and I just love the result from uh, from Mike. Elliot Rhodes, he's done it again. Our Friday night funny man with the North Korean conga. 
He's a national treasure. He's shit out. <laughs> <laughs> I like the bit later where he says he's not even satirical, which is very true. Mm. So in case you're wondering what the North Korean conga is about, I, I actually looked this up because that's the kind of thing I do in my spare time. And basically why why he was singing about North Korea was that North Korea withdrew from the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. You might remember this treaty. It, it was around in the 80s and 90s, the idea being to stop you know, to prevent further nuclear, to prevent future nuclear wars, you know, the first thing you have to do is not build any more nuclear weapons. Anyway, North Korea pulls out. And in the end, there was an agreement that was reached between former President Jimmy Carter and then leader of North Korea, Kim Il-sung, who actually died later that year. Um, so I think the song was basically about that crisis that would have been going on um, at the time that this episode of Frontline was made. Oh, informative. Thank you. Right. There'll be more context on news referenced in this episode later on. Yes, of course. So oh, look out for thank that. Thank you, Alison. Thanks, <laughs> Anytime. It's glad, uh, glad you're, you're remembering back or looking up all the stuff that happened back in 1994. I was too busy doing my HSC to <laughs> worry about yeah, politics. I, I was kind of too busy doing my year 12 as well. Um, so it's kind of interesting to look up at this stuff that you slightly remember. And I was only just starting high school. <laughs> oh, so young. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was a junior. You, t- you two were seniors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Mike wants Elliot gone and Brian's throwaway line of there is only one John Clark. Bloody brilliant. Uh, Bloody was, true, though. Very true. Yep. Um, with the attempt of poaching. Now, if you're not aware of who John Clark is, well, the late great John Clark, he is a, a New Zealand icon who we claim as our own. Because <laughs> <So>, <laughs> he, he lived here for probably most of his life. Exactly. And the D-Gen guys, the working dog guys, and every, uh, that, that whole group uh, worship him and a lot of people do too. So John Clark and Brian Dore, they were a duo that were on um, doing their satirical pieces usually at the end of the week on A Current Affair as well as uh, down the track on the 7.30 report and just popped up at, in various places as well where it was just that dry satirical humour um, and it was just the two of them. It was just Dor being the serious interviewee, sorry, interviewer, reporter and John Clark um, just pretending to be that other person or whoever it was in the spotlight at the time that they were taking the piss out of. Usually a politician of some sort he was being. And there seems to be quite a lot of um, uh, hoo-ha made about the fact that, you know, John's not uh, made up to look like the, the interviewee that he's impersonating. And he doesn't do the voice either. <laughs> no. So it was just straight up, as you saw him, John Clark, and you wouldn't know who he's playing until Brian Dawes' character will introduce him as that person. So here's a snippet of a really well-known uh, version of a, a Clark and Dawes sketch. Senator Collins, thanks for coming in. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. This ship that was involved in the incident off Western Australia this week... Yeah, the one the front if... fell off? Yeah. Yeah, that's not very typical. I'd like to make that point. Well, how is it untypical? Well, there are a lot of these ships going around the world all the time and very seldom does anything like this happen. I just don't want people thinking that tankers aren't safe. Was this tanker safe? Well, I was thinking more about the other ones. 
The ones that are safe? Yeah, the ones the front doesn't fall off. Well, if this wasn't safe, why did it have 80,000 tonnes of oil on it? Well, I'm not saying it wasn't safe, it's just perhaps not quite as safe as some of the other ones. Why? Well, some of them are built so the front doesn't fall off at all. Well, wasn't this built so the front wouldn't fall off? Well, obviously not. How do you know? Well, because the front fell off and 20,000 <laughs> tonnes of crude oil spilled into the sea court fire. It's a bit of a giveaway. I'd just like to make the point that that is not normal. <laughs> so, that's just a sample. There's plenty of them on YouTube as well mm. as the DVDs. It's and... worth watching the full sketch actually if you just google the front fell off and it will come up multiple versions of it yeah and i will throw back to uh so when this episode was broadcast uh in june or as daniel g was singing uh on monday june 20 1994 <laughs> this clark and door it's a snippet though uh, went to air around the same time as the episode of frontline of june 1994. mr bond thanks for coming in i don't recall uh, well, well, thank you very much anyway for coming in. I just uh, don't recall the detail of what you're <laughs> referring to now yeah. that you're yeah, actually you addressing in. the question yeah. to me. Uh, Mr Bond, I wonder if I could ask you about the suggestion that you shifted millions of dollars out of Australia into territories which uh, have no extradition proceedings with us. I just don't recall. You say you're not well. I do say I'm not well. I'm not well. I'm not at all well. What sort of not well are you, Mr Bond? I'm not well at all. I'm sick. I've been sick for a long time and I'm not at all well. I... In what way? I can't. I can't. I'm just, I'm just not at all well. Sell at 150. Sell, at, sell a lot. <laughs> Unload a lot. In what way are you not well? I'm not at all well. <laughs> so that, that might give you a bit of a time stamp of oh, what was going on at that time around 94. And yeah, it's this sort of... Like, there's not a lot of exaggeration in that uh, impression, really. Not that you really needed it with something that was that preposterous to begin with. John, John Clark had this amazing sort of directness and 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 conciseness of of his comedy. You know, he was able to get so much into one or two sentences, and you know, all all these sketches they would last like two minutes, two and a half minutes, or something, and and they were just the most perfect summation of any news story that you could name you know he, he is such a huge loss to to Australian comedy um and you know I every week every Thursday I miss seeing a, a new John Clark sketch you know he was just he was appointment viewing really so Frontline is losing women viewers and the show is just way too blokey and so a production meeting takes place while Mike is working away on his laptop while everyone else is on their notepads uh and Barb, the network research supervisor, uh, is breaking down all the reasons why the show is completely faltering. Barb sort of, she she goes through this report and she talks about how women don't want politics stories, they want more romance stories, they want stories about body image. And, you know, I, I guess as a woman hearing that list, I just find that incredibly depressing because... <laughs> You know, that's what women want. Apparently, they want fluffy pink kittens, and they don't want any of the hard stuff. Um, so that's fairly depressing. Yeah, I think they don't. They were just talking about also the the fact that I was very stereotypically blokey, very sport based, and talk and sleazy and that sort of thing. And they were trying to make it a bit more soft. So that that was an interesting um, an interesting observation that they and then all of a sudden. They sent those had all these focus groups, all these female focus groups running them, and then figuring out all the negatives. Um, I think sport and blokiness was pretty much uh, the general consensus there. Mm. 
And there was only one thing that uh, most of the sample could uh, tell about the Prime Minister, basically, that he married an air hostess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That very important fact. Yeah. There's a cut line, actually, in this which suggests what the future direction for Frontline might be in this more female-friendly um, thing that they've got going on. And it's, it's Marty saying, hey, Brooke, another day with Russell Crowe, which, uh, which sort of calls back to this idea that Brooke's this very socially connected woman who sort of gets about with lots of celebrities. Emma softens the blow with Elliot a little bit while Brian and Ian um, Farmer, uh, the general manager of the station, uh, chat to Clark and Dor in a restaurant with a less than positive result. So in this case... Give them a logie for their wondrous performance because actions speak louder than words. The front fell off. <laughs> just the look on John Clark in particular's face during this scene. He he just looks sort of just appalled, horrified, you know, so many emotions just coming out of him, just staring intently at them. And then, then Brian Dore looks at his watch yeah. and, and you could just tell that they get out of there as soon as possible. Yeah. And again, not a single word spoken. It's just excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that when Brian Thompson uh, decides to say to the guys that, um, hey, you can do your performance with us, but we're actually thinking of taking it to the next level, and that is put all the prosthetics and makeup and costumes up. Yeah. And that, that, that whole, that, the whole uh, idea of the having makeup, that, make, that goes against the whole simplicity and the fact that the – that the sketch is just all about what they're saying and, and how they're delivering it rather than what they look like, So, which the audience is well aware of and realising how yes. ridiculous this whole scenario is. I mean, the, the background to Clark and Door actually is that it started off as a newspaper column and it was just a dialogue that John Clark wrote in the newspaper and then he decided to try that sort of thing on the radio with Brian Dore, um in, in around 1987 and then it quickly went to a current affair in 89. So so really the whole point of the Clark and Door sketches is it's about the writing, it's about the dialogue, and you don't need the makeup and the prosthetics for that. Mm. All mm. the voices. But it, can we go back slightly to, to when Emma lets Elliot go? Well, actually, no, she says to him that they're going to start using him on a rotational basis, which just seems like a very kind of John Clark line, actually. You can imagine rotational basis being the sort of fundamental in a Clark and Dorse sketch. Yeah, and he's he's been around since Wally the Worker. <laughs> I just yeah, that Wally, down. The, Wally the Worker. <laughs> I, I don't know about you guys. I remember Wally the Worker appearing on the Midday Show and he was just this bloke. He was a construction worker and he'd come on with his hard hat and his his construction gear and he'd sort of it, it was he, he'd do a kind of stand-up routine it was kind of roughly in the same vein as as sort of Paul Hogan you know it was the kind of working class bloke sort of character who'd come in and talk about the week's event so you can absolutely imagine him being the Friday Night Funny Man on Frontline in the way that indeed Paul Hogan was on a current affair back in the 70s. I, I did YouTube a couple of clips of Volley the Worker I really couldn't couldn't go any further than that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I have to say I, that when I used to watch the Midday Show, I wasn't particularly a fan of his work, but, you know, I guess he had an audience. Yeah, 100%. It wasn't just, me, I wasn't... but it was there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, with John Clark, going back to him, though, uh, 
it's not the first time that he's worked with the working dog team. Mm. Go back all the way to 1988 when it was Degeneration and they did the show The Degen Goes Commercial uh, where it was that spe- one, of those, one of those four specials that they did for Scacy at the time. <laughs> and it was at the intro where it was like this full-on introduction of Goes Commercial and then suddenly it's like, oh, what do we do now? And John Clark walks in as a cleaner. You people are generators? Degeneration. Yeah, that's it. Uh, well, you're not in Studio One anymore. You've been shifted. Where to? Where to? Uh, well, um... Uh, just hang on to that for a minute, will you? Uh, where to? Actually, we do have a live audience waiting. <laughs> G'day, Frank. Yeah, well, is he there? Frank? Yeah, good day, Frank. Uh, listen, uh, yeah, not bad. Did he? He didn't. Did he? Did he? Did he? Really? Quaddy. <laughs> listen, Frank, um, I've got this pot group here, the generators or the... Degeneration. Uh, the ge- 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 Degeneration. Degeneration gap game factor. It's a quiz program, I think. But do you know where they've been shifted to? They've been... Yeah, joking. Does that still exist? <laughs> Okay, well, <clears throat> yeah, okay, well, I'll call you back. Okay, Frank, yep, right. Okay, Frank, 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 I've got to go. Thank you, okay, thanks, see you. Uh, well, uh, that was Frank. Uh, the, um, you've been shifted to 212, Studio 212. How do we get there? Well, uh, where are you parked? No way was a large chunk of that scripted at all. It, it's such it's such John Clark, isn't it? Just just the, picking up on the way that people talk on the phone and all that. Yeah, mm. yeah, that was great. There's also the bit where John Clark appears on Burke's backyard when the Degeneration are hosting it. Have you got a clip from that, Matt? By any chance? I sure do. Excellent. Well, this is it. There you go. Now, just you come and have a look at this. This is just fantastic. You listen to this. A Hammond organ. This is a Hammond organ. Yeah, listen to this. Absolute ripper. Imagine coming home from work to this. Good old John Clark. <laughs> Sadly missed. <laughs> now, Mike tells Jeff that he's been invited to participate in the World Series TV debate. You remember those uh, yes. things? Yeah. It was a real staple of ABC comedy. Today I get a call from the head of ABC TV comedy. Comedy? They want me for the next World Series TV debate. Oh, fantastic. When is it? <laughs> Tonight. I've got to fly up after the show. That's not much notice. Well, someone pulled out. <laughs> Well, it's still an honour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a format of uh, comedy TV debates, um, pretty much radio with pictures, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, b- back when you had to make a funny point just with your words rather than with singing and dancing, which seems to have uh, 
being what's taken over, you know, all these comedy TV debates after the 90s, I think. Because the debates also, there was like a, one of the main features of the Melbourne Comedy Festival Gala, wasn't it? Or isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it I think it started out in the Melbourne Comedy Festival, late 80s, early 90s, and then they brought it to television. And then I remember in the 90s at some point, Channel 9 started doing them as well. Yeah, I vaguely Hosted remember. Hosted by Paul Lynham. Were, were they really that popular? Apparently. <laughs> Did they, they rate well? They were, was it just a cheap way to kind of put things well, together? Well, I think it was a bit of, bit of column A, a bit of column B. But, yeah, Channel 9 certainly did a couple that I remember um, in the late 90s. But, yeah, the, the one that Mike is doing, of course, is the classic series from the ABC hosted by Campbell McComas. I think one thing I like about this uh, scene is uh, Mike sort of taking the easy way out and just looking up money in a, a book of quotations because, uh, yeah, it's all about what is the, uh, the subject? Um, Does it's money about whether buy money uh, can buy happiness, yeah. It's also kind of a subtle dig, actually, at this debate program because a lot of the humour did seem to be based on quotations. Like, you know, if you watch them back, you just suddenly notice there's quite a lot of people chucking in quotations. So, yeah, it, it's it's a kind of logical thing for Mike Moore to do, having picked up on how people are doing it. Yeah, imagine if he was with a chat GPT nowadays. He'd just be <laughs> typing all this stuff a in. speech and... about... Yeah, and he'd get a load of nonsense back that was sort of very American sounding. Great. <laughs> Actually, speaking of, have you done that, Matt? You've you've experimented a bit with some script writing. I have <laughs> actually. I've been mucking around with Chat GPT. You've been putting your foot in, yeah, chat based IT and working dog worlds. Well, yes, I have been, and to test out the waters, I did <laughs> one thing. If you follow me, my uh, account on Twitter. Uh, I was mucking around <laughs> with Tony Martin's movie, uh, Bad Eggs and all that. Write a sequel to the 2003 Australian comedy drama film Bad Eggs. And it says, the sequel to Bad Eggs is Good Eggs. Several years have <laughs> passed since, <laughs> since <laughs> detectives Ben Kinnear and Mike Paddock solved the string of murders at the video store in Bad Eggs. Uh, <laughs> Ben and Mike are, yeah, it's a bit weird. Ben and Mike are now working as private investigators as and their business is thriving. One day they receive a new case that takes them on a wild adventure. A wealthy businessman named Richard Marks, played by Eric Banner, <laughs> hires Ben and Mike to find his missing daughter who disappeared while on a backpacking trip in the Australian outback. As Ben and Mike begin their investigation, they discover that Marx has a dark secret. He's involved in a massive embezzlement scheme that has put him and his company in serious trouble. Meanwhile, they encounter a series of eccentric characters, including a group of survivalist hippies living in the wilderness, a tough-as-nails truck driver, and a ruthless gang of bikers. As the case progresses, Ben and Mike begin to uncover a web a complex web of lies and deceit that reaches the highest levels of government. They also find themselves facing their own personal challenges. Ben must deal with the re-emergence of his ex-wife, while Mike struggles with a drinking problem. In the end, Ben and Mike manage to find Marx's daughter and unravel the conspiracy surrounding her disappearance. They also manage to save Marx's company from ruin and bring the corruption officials the corrupt officials responsible for the embezzlement scheme to justice. 
With their latest case successfully closed, Ben and Mike reflect on their journey and their friendship, realising they are, in fact, good eggs after all. <laughs> good grief. That, that's oh, just dear. one of them. And the, the, the unfortunate thing is that there's nothing funny in any of that at all. Yeah. No. Don't the, ask... It's not a good joke writer at the moment. Thank no, you. It, it's a terrible joke writer. I, I tried a couple of experiments with it and it just just spat out absolute crap. Like you got to teach it as well. It's like with uh, The Dish and then I got it to write a sequel to The Dish. So the sequel to The Dish keep, takes keep place. Mind, no, keep in mind like a... The Dish is based on real events. Yeah, well, and then when I did the sequel to The Dish, I also did another sequel which made it a trilogy and then I did it again to make a fourth film and did a crossover of The Dish with The Castle. What? <laughs> it's okay. I don't need to hear that one. Uh, <laughs> Unless it's really good. Oh, uh, no, but I, I'm happy to share that in the Champagne Comedy Facebook group, just like that Martin Malloy sketch that I shared, mm. uh, one writer Martin Malloy sketch that had Clive Palmer involved. And they were pretty good using Pauline Hanson too in it on cue. Mm. Anyway, we're going on the tangent. I do apologise if you're still listening to this. There's, there's, there's also an, another one that that you you won't need to uh, read out. Talking about uh, trying to write an episode of Barjas. If Barjas had survived blowing up the car after lighting his spark. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> See, the prompt is, is funnier than the actual thing <laughs> they end up writing. I've got to go in an hour, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh sorry. Let's move on. Well, let's let's yeah, move on bar- to the okay, next scene. Yeah, yeah, sorry, if sorry. If we could, that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay. Speaking, anyway, well, speaking of tinkering with computers, we've got uh, Stu and Marty uh, playing with the sound settings on uh, Mike's <laughs> new laptop. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a notebook. Excuse me. Yes, you're <laughs> right. It is a notebook. All <laughs> oh, right, laptop I, I, as well. I'm not entirely sure what it is. I think it looks like a Macintosh PowerBook. Uh, when I tried to look it up <laughs> back then, um, you had um, you could didn't have wireless internet. Had to be had to be wired in, and I, I believe. That this particular version uh, came with the the usual 1.4 megabyte floppy disk drive, as you can see on the side, has a little track pad there, track, tracking ball. I believe it's grayscale, and you could expand it to 120 megabytes. Whoa. That's an ex- expanded Whoa. version. Um, yeah, very 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 basic. It only had about four to 14 megabytes of RAM in it. And that was expandable to 14 megabytes. That was huge. Mm. But it does make fart sounds, as we as we discover. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the production team is still brainstorming stories targeting the female audience and like a doctor molesting one of his patients, but it's all about the angle. Uh, so Brian orders a reenactment while Mike is pushing his sweatshop story like no tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, so so to get some inspiration um, in terms of the uh, – the, the stuff that they want to write about, they look to women's magazines, and I still have a few 1994 editions. I've got my beautiful new weekly from April 1994. Um, as you can see, for the, for the people who, who are listening, this is a it's got Seinfeld on the cover. That's why I kept it because I was a big Seinfeld fan at the time. Seinfeld was uh, dating someone who was like our age, <laughs> <laughs> and we were all horrified at this concept. But um, yeah, the the new the the articles are very much targeted towards towards women. There's one. There's an ad for a, a Renault 
car and says, don't let him see it. This is your affair. <laughs> but you can buy one for him as well, apparently. <laughs> so, but there are plenty of um, articles that are just all along the same lines as that kind of medical stuff. Lots of plastic surgery. Um, there's an article about Tonya Harding. I'm just flicking through here. You've got um, basically it's it's all the kind of scandalous stuff in terms of um, this. Well, there's also stuff that's um, revolutionary, like the machine that pumps life that's, that brings new hope to patients awaiting transplants. So there's a kind of serious medical story. But then you also have um, Princess Diana stories in here. You've got sad sex addicts who can't get enough. But, yeah, chocolate is good for you, apparently. That's excellent news in time for Easter. Um, but, yeah, the Seinfeld was the cradle-snatching comic. Oh, wow. That, that, that <laughs> magazine belongs in a museum. They also have a regular column by Wendy Harmer, who was mentioned in the, in, the, um, in the episode earlier, and she writes about things that just kind of annoy her in her little column. So this particular one was about salons and how you can see what's going on and you can see all these people getting perms and all these people looking ridiculous and undignified when you look out, look at them through the window. And they're just saying, how do hairdressing salons get away with humiliating their prized customers in such a fashion? Mm. Mm. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Wendy, opening up the eyes of the salon. Yes. Yeah, so, in the, in the script, oh, thank, thank you, dangerous Kim. dieting and women who smoke to lose weight. <laughs> ah, yes, that's it. I'm just, I'm just amazed at, at how how tame New Weekly was when it started out because I remember right near the end of, the, of its life when it was just, uh, you know, like every other, you know, trashy gossip mag, when it was, when it was NW, not New Weekly. Yeah, started off as New Weekly and then, it, and then it, I think it evolved to NW. They do actually have uh, sections where they interview politicians. So they were talking about, you know, the whole Cheryl Kerno thing and making her look um, just like a, a woman in the workplace, that sort of thing. And, and here they interviewed a, a male politician, they interview the wife, they talk about the family, that sort of thing. So it's all that kind of um, simple, simple kind of politics that, that they think will appeal to a mainstream female audience. So uh, next thing we find out that uh, Roland Roccicelli's services have been called upon to uh, direct a new promo for Mike Moore. Do you want to shoot it here in the studio? Yeah, sure, and outside as well, if you like. But none of this walking down the street waving to construction workers on a Channel 9 dope shit. No, 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 I understand, I understand. Uh, well, Channel 9, I would have thought Channel 7. In real life. This guy can play the guitar, folks, I'm telling you Stan Grant keeps pace with Australia's heart and soul. What Australia is really like in the 90s. The real dramas, the real issues. I think they want to know about politics insofar as it relates to them. Stan Grant knows what it takes to keep you in touch. With movie stars and rock stars, getting behind that veil is what I particularly like to do. Stan Grant brings you real life, 7 o'clock weeknights on Southern Cross. Wow. Yeah, well, that, that's just one of them. That explains why there's a shot of Mike playing the guitar in this final promo. Well, in the promo... That, that proper one I just played of uh, real life, they had uh, Tommy Emmanuel plugging, saying, hey, he really knows how to play the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> we all tweeted out, it's so cheesy. Because we weren't going to watch a current affairs show, you know, if we yeah. think that the host cannot play a guitar. Exactly. But other than Brian 
saying a couple of things which aren't really asserted now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, talking about um, Roland's uh, sexuality and you know, as if that matters to whether the promo is going to be any good or not. Well, what he should have said, actually, he should have brought up that Roland Rocachelli used to work for Harry M. Miller and he could have got in a, another ticket seller oh, the ticket reference. Seller. Yeah. <laughs> With that, uh, while everyone is having dinner, uh, Mike sneaks off to appear in the debate, which obviously they don't know about, but only uh, for the MC when, when they do actually cut to it with special guest Tim Smith. <laughs> um, and who did you say was hosting it, Alison? Campbell McComas is the moderator of the debate program. And, yeah, he yeah. he ends up sort of in his introduction to Mike he ends up using a few quotations that he's got out of the quotation book and they happen to be the exact same ones that Mike has put in his speech. So you just see Mike's oh, face fall. He went to the same book Yeah, he did, he did go to the same book mm. and you just see Mike <laughs> sort of realise he's in a bit of trouble here. That, this is where Mike kicks in because every time they do a distance shot, they're totally different people on stage. Yeah. So they've used actual footage from the debate, but on the close-ups, they're different people because the person sitting where Mike Moore is is not Mike Moore, as well as the moderator, Campbell, uh, it was not him. So there's my mm-hmm. OCD kicking in there. Did you manage to identify who the shots are actually of? No. I was really trying to, but I thought maybe I couldn't find the actual episode of the debate from that where that's from, but I did find a snippet or the special of the 1994 Comedy Festival Gala, so maybe it could be anyone in this intro. Good evening and welcome to the 1994 Melbourne Comedy Festival Charity Gala from the Athenaeum Theatre. Tonight's Comedy Gala features The Amazing Jonathan, Jack D, Jim Owen, Lane Owen Woodley, Flacco, Paul Morocco, Steady Eddie, the Tokyo Shock Boys, <laughs> Kinky Friedman, Tom Kenny, New Joke City, Phil Kay, Ennio Marchetti, Franklin Ajayi, No Dangly Bits, Judith Lucy, Bobcat Goldthwait, and the star of the Naked Gun movies, Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> and now, the host of tonight's comedy gala, Wendy Hammer. I'd say it'll be all the Tokyo Shock Boys. <laughs> <laughs> And the amazing Jonathan. That is such an eclectic lineup, even for 94. Other than uh, the downfall of his quotes or his speech, uh, the next morning Mike does show up to the office and is also showing Dom his new notebook. I was about to say laptop. <laughs> What's this? Thesaurus. Hang on, I'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this uh, this means that our podcast is going to turn up on Sizzletown for the, uh, for the pod fart. Well, one of us is going to have to just yeah. let one rip in the middle of us speaking if we really want to get on pod farts. I do happen to have a CD <laughs> what, of a, a, one building. You, oh. you happen to have a fart waiting to go, or just just festering. <laughs> Are you just blowing in the wind? <laughs> I might actually uh, talk about yourselves. I'm just going to go and get that CD. Oh, no. Hold on. 
No. No. Where's he going? Allison's got to go in less than an hour. I've got to go in 40 minutes. Found it. Hey. Yay. Yay. Hey, you're back. And that ends Champagne Comedy (laughs) Podcast. (laughs) So, it's called Pull My Finger Volume 1, the original fart CD. Bloody hell. Oh, delightful. All natural, all disgusting. (laughs) Over 100,000 copies sold. Does it come in scratch and sniff? (laughs) (laughs) But it's just, it's this weird... I found this in an op shop, funnily enough. Lovely. But uh, yeah, 99 tracks of real repulsive flatulent sounds and songs you can play on your stereo CD player. Wow, I don't want to hear a mono fart. Mm. <laughs> Includes the hits Yankee Doody Dandy and Silent But Deadly Night. What, play farted? <laughs> okay, great. Oh, all right. Well, we are pushed for time, so we'll get this going. So Brian and Emma are still searching for the Friday funny man or funny woman or funny person. Emma suggests a ventriloquist, uh, quote, David Strassman, I'm guessing, unquote. Um, No, 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 but he's also a satirist. Yes, yes. And Marty walks in and tries to describe someone. Oi, 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 (laughs) oi. Someone with a piss-awful game show on Channel 10. And a, quote, woggy name, unquote. Gee, gee, I wonder if that's Vince Sorrenti. Oi, 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 oi. Host of Channel 10's Let's Make a Deal in the early 90s. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Now now doing the corporate circuit. Later, Mike's uh, new promo is being shot within the office. So uh, too much of the staff just cacking themselves laughing. I love the fact how in this promo they've they've obviously got someone a sort of better looking version of Emma to play Emma, and <laughs> and and in a promo which is supposed to appeal to women, the the bit that Mike has to do is he has he has to mansplain to this Emma character where to edit something. He goes, <laughs> edit it there, right? Yeah, because that's what women love, isn't it? They love a mansplainer. And the Emma actor uh, is. Very tall and leggy. Yes, she certainly is. More production meetings with Barb and Mike is still pushing to have his sweatshot story produced and Brian suggests he'll look into it in one way or another. Then Mike does have some admission of guilt. I think I may have done something a little foolish last night. You know those ABC comedy debates? Well, and I'll put it as a hypothetical. If I'd gone on one. <laughs> I love that pause. Yeah. Just Brian's face when he's, you know, he realises what's happened. One more time. I think I may have done something a little <laughs> foolish last night. <laughs> you know those ABC comedy debates? <laughs> Good evening. and what- That music. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was a little Spanish plea. So uh, Brian gets on the blower <laughs> to the ABC to try and pull the app. And so and here's a bit of the conversation. I don't give a stuff how much you edit it. No, I'm not trying to bully you. Well, can't you schedule something else tomorrow night? I mean, what about that Mr Bean bloody thing? You must have hundreds <laughs> of them on the... Well, f- you. ABC arsehole. <sighs> I love that. The censor... The fuck, but they keep the asshole. But boring point of pedantry here. Pedantry. 
Thank you. Um, yeah, in 1994, there are only about three or four episodes of Mr. Bean available at that point. So, you know, wouldn't have lasted long if they were trying to replace the debate with it. Well, look, I, I, think, I think that they... Uh, I think I might be able to explain a little bit of the animosity towards Mr. Bean. Because I didn't mention this uh, in the first uh, Frontline episode we did. But um, you know what aired in the time slot... Uh, 8pm Mondays previous to Frontline's debut. No, what? It wasn't Mr. Bean, was it? It was four weeks of Mr. Bean. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Mr. Bean Goes to Town, which is the fourth episode. Mr. Bean Rides Again, which is the sixth episode. Uh, the eighth episode, Mr. Bean in Room 426. And then uh, the week before Frontline started, episode 10, Mind the Baby, Mr. Bean. Oh, well, there you go. So, like, so, no, so okay. wonder, no, no, no wonder the writers of Frontline were quite happy to say Vale Homo Queer's Father. <laughs> so, actually, you need to, if there are 10 episodes of Mr. Bean at that point, you need to drop me another pedantry because there were 10 episodes by that point. Hmm. All right. Pedantry. Yeah, disco and, pedantry. But, but, yeah, the thing, the thing is that, yeah, there are only 15 episodes of Mr. Bean out there. But, yeah, it seems like there's hundreds and hundreds and mm. hundreds. Considering how many... If you, have you ever had a look at the Mr. Bean channel on YouTube? No. They seem to get away with running the same 15 episodes in all these weird long hour and a half compilations. It's like when the TV stations run uh, episodes of Faulty Towers. So there was only a handful... What was it 12 or 14? Only 12 yeah, 12 episodes. 12, 12 episodes. Yeah, 12 episodes. And yet at one stage in the 90s, that channel... Uh, or was it Channel Ten or whatever they? I think it was 7? Channel Ten. Yeah, they uh, they had Mark Mist- Mitchell hosting. No, no, the... no, no, no. That was that was Channel Seven, and yeah, that was Mark Mitchell hosting the Forty Towers Hour. Yeah, <laughs> because they didn't want to cut any of the. I mean, episodes of Forty Towers run. They're thirty-five over minutes. Hour. Yeah. 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 So 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 they so they so they they basically put ad breaks in, and then to sort of round out the hour, I think they played bloopers. Bloopers. Yeah, they played clips of all sorts of stuff. Like un- yeah. un- unrelated stuff, just to, to pad out the hour. But, but, yeah. but also to pad out, there was a, an unnecessary introduction to the episode from Mark Mitchell, and you're thinking, just get him off. Put the bloody thing on. You know. <laughs> it's taken a couple of days. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't need context from Mark Mitchell on, on one of the greatest TV series of all time. Just play it. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Kim. <laughs> that, that that was beautiful. Ah, beautiful. thank you. Yeah. Oh well. So uh, we'll move on from there. We've got another appearance from Neil Mitchell. Well, I was actually but, going uh, to say yeah, this time it's not with uh, it's not with Mike. I was going to say just before that they do uh, or Emma plays doctor plays the doctor reenactment. Oh um, yes. Which. Plays like a oh, Coke God. commercial. Well, I was going to say soap opera, but um, yeah, combination of Mike a Coke says, commercial. I found it chilling. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure the lady in there was quite <laughs> found it quite chilling too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a full of clothes. <laughs> um, yeah, but doctor, still, what are you doing? Yeah, it's still a story no woman can afford to miss, though. Mm. 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 And <laughs> <laughs> Mike offers to plug the story on Neil Mitchell, as you were saying, Daniel. But to his surprise, Brian uses Brooke instead just for a little bit something different. 
Well, Brooke Vandenberg, welcome to the studio. It's a pleasure to be here, Neil. What do we owe this to? Is it some sort of attempt to make uh, Frontline seem more feminine? (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 it's not that at all. In fact, Mike is tied up today. Uh, But we've got a fascinating story coming up tonight. It's the Queen Mum's 75th year in public life. I just love that laugh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, bro. I, I'm quite no, offended when uh, earlier in the episode when they said they were going to talk about the Queen Mum, that was going to be a- appealing to the over 40s. <laughs> 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 like, the over 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's sweatshop story is dull and boring, so Brian instructs Hugh in the production room to polish a turd. And uh, meanwhile, the team watched the promo Mike has filmed. In the world of current affairs, it's nice to know you've got a friend. Sometimes I guess it's easy to get a little carried away with work. I love my work, but you've still got to take time out to smell the roses. You've got a friend. Mike Moore, 630 weeknights on Frontline. Now, that was very... That echoed uh, what I played earlier with Stan Grant's uh, real life thing. Yeah. But here's Is this the... where we needed our Melbourne person? Mm. Well, it looks like I'm going to go with St Kilda again for that beach and that jetty <laughs> where where Mike walking along the jetty and then picks up the toy that the child has dropped. The main one with a kiosk mother. at the end of a pier. Yeah, I, I reckon it's it's in that vicinity, certainly. This is more visual than anything, but here is... And when you see the visual of it, which we'll tweet out the clip um, on our Twitter account at TLS Champagne, also in the Champagne Comedy Podcast Facebook group, here's the Stan Grant real-life version. That was the song with all the visuals of what Mike Moore was replicating. That does, well, just based on the soundtrack, that does seem very inspired by a lot of what was going on in music at the time, you know, kind of MTV unplugged and, you know, you can just imagine what the visuals are like. They're very much inspired by film clips, mm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, a surprised guest on the show, which caught everyone left the field, well, mainly me, uh, Senator Cheryl Kernow appears on the front line for an interview, uh, hinting that she wants to talk about the Senate Fairfax inquiry, and Mike has other plans. And how do you balance family and work? Well, I've got a really supportive husband. Of course, mm. he'd have to be, given the time I spend away from home working, particularly on the Fairfax inquiry. Sure, sure. Of course, it's not just your husband. You also have a daughter. 
Yes, but she's at school most of the time. But mm. She's interested in the Fairfax Inquiry. Uh, does she come to Canberra often? Yes, she does, but yeah. uh, I'm usually really busy. I've, there are so many important issues mm. that I have to deal with in the day, I don't get much time to talk to her. Mm. Such as? Well, the Fairfax Inquiry, of which course. is a great yes, She must have mixed feelings uh, when Ros Kelly resigned. And so forth. <laughs> but that's all part of the female demographic that they're aiming for. Well, but apparently Cheryl Kernow's daughter's interested in the Fairfax Inquiry, so the, the idea that women don't care about politics is maybe wrong. Mm. But, but yeah, the the Fairfax Inquiry, just in case you're wondering, I, I looked this up. Um, quick pricey on that. So in 1990, Fairfax um, Company collapsed and part of it was sold to Conrad Black, who was a Canadian newspaper magnate. And this sort of resulted in the government uh, being concerned about foreign ownership of, of newspapers. And that was a kind of ongoing story really throughout the 90s about whether and and beyond actually about whether it was right that that foreign companies owned these big Australian companies so that's what the Fairfax inquiry was into was really foreign ownership of the media so as Cheryl said it was an important story okay so I I do remember um, and this clip gets played a lot uh, when Four Corners decide to do an anniversary or retro or retrospect and they tend to play this clip this is the face of a man who has just lost everything. Yes. Mr. Fairfax. Hello. David Maher is my name. I'm from ABC Four Corners. Mm-hmm. Can I speak to you for a couple of moments? I don't have anything to say, I'm afraid. Is there nothing to say at this time? Not at this time, no. Is it all over? Uh, the company is in a receivership, if that's what you mean. And that means that there is no more Fairfax connection with the company? I don't have anything more to say. How do you feel about it at this time? I'm not commenting stage not even on how you feel uh, no. yeah that's that's warwick fairfax is it because yeah that's yeah, warwick he, fairfax yeah he took over the company in 1987 and then three years later is when it collapsed and warwick fairfax i think is mainly known to fans of the degeneration as someone who looks a bit like tony martin in fact tony <laughs> made various jokes about it and he's basically a sort of specky skinny bloke um yeah Anyway, I don't. I don't think Fairfax is owned by anyone called Fairfax anymore. No, it's Channel Nine. Marty discovers Mike in the TV guide, and that is set to appear in the debate. And uh, <laughs> Brian watches Mike as he dies on stage so awkwardly. Uh, it, God, that's it was, painful, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's, you've got to watch it more than anything. <laughs> so it was yeah. beautifully acted, mm. beautifully performed. And a uh, good sort of uh, editing of a uh, non-plussed audience uh, oh, yeah. looking unamused. Yeah. <laughs> the next morning, though, um, after some polite feedback from Dom, got a lot of Dom, uh, about Mike's performance, uh, Emma and Brian are still trying to out the Friday funny man to no success. Sorry, funny woman or funny person to no success. Yeah, there's a brief bit where there's a female comedian auditioning and she's doing some material about rape, which, you know, is is uh, it doesn't go down well with Emma and Brian, let's put it that way. But eventually... Hang on, hang, hang on. There's a, there's a Konica watch. Konica watch. Yeah, it's it's after the debate scene and before the scene about the where the woman is auditioning to be the funny woman. 
So you you get a brief shot of Colin Conacher, I think, in the scene where Mike comes into the office and Dom um, gives her feedback on the debate. Oh. Well, it was about time he turned up because they had a broken photocopier for some time and they couldn't get the statistics printed and, and all sorts. So Exactly. He came, he came just in time. Interesting. See, I failed on that part, so thank you very much for calling out Konica. Just call Konica and we get this noise. Now, Brian and Emma eventually schedule Mike's sweatshop story, which includes some major alterations. Ah, uh, get it? And uh, such as Brooke narrating and a new positive uh, spin on the visual inserts, so which is just all the fashion, David Bowie stuff, and catwalk models. And it turns out that uh, (laughs) this storyline made uh, quite a positive impression on uh, Media Watch because they were able to find a bit of life imitating art. Uh, this clip, uh, it's a little bit long, but it also has uh, a very good summation of this plot line by Stuart Littlemore. Plus, we get to hear him pronounce front line. We remind you of that splendid satiric treatment of tabloid current affairs shows, the too close to the bone front line. I've actually got a story here. I'll bring it up. I'll just bring up the folder. Uh, yes, Mike. No, 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 or, no, 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 no. Hang on. No, I don't or, think I'll praise it. I'll praise it. Okay. Um, it's a uh, illegal uh, textile factories employing migrant women and paying below award payments. Uh huh. Another area that researched well, not surprisingly, is romance. Uh-huh. Mike Moore wasn't having much luck in pitching his story about sweatshops. But he made it anyway and submitted the story to his executive producer. It could well be a scene from China or Korea, but this sweatshop is operating right here in Australia. Unknown to Mike, the story was reworked, jazzed up with some sexy fashion footage. It came as something of a surprise to him when it went to air. Well, they say clothes maketh the man, but in Australia's fiercely competitive fashion industry, it's women who maketh the clothes. Here's a Frontline exclusive. It could well be the workrooms of a Paris or Milan fashion house, but this factory is operating down under. And it's all... Where's Brian? Brian? Life, at least at the 7.30 report, imitates art. They're called out workers, the hidden army behind our clothing manufacturing industry. In a report released today by the Textile Clothing and Footwear Union paints a shocking picture of exploitation. It's a $10 billion industry trading on an image of sophistication and quality. Today's report by the Textile Clothing and Footwear Union seriously dents this image. It reveals the bulk of our clothes is being made by a workforce that's underpaid and overworked. Fatally short memories. So there you go, Media Watch wow. uh, calling out the 7.30 report. Almost a year after this episode, uh, that was uh, in March 1995. So, yeah, and like pretty much like the same kind of story as well, talking about uh, you know, a report by the, you know, the, the Textile Workers Union. Oh, good find. Yeah, well done, Daniel. Yeah. And we'll tweet out the video too for that as well and also put it on the Champagne Comedy Facebook group. Um, but as you heard then, well, I didn't even have to play the clips because they're directly out of Media Watch, uh, that just as Mike calls out for Brian, Elliot turns up and he's back on board with the recession rap. Yeah, I was wondering about what the recession rap writing tell. Maybe it sounds a bit like this. 
Here's a story about a silverhead cat who started a craze called the recession. The whole thing started years ago when Bobby said, uh, Give us a bash. And when he said, our high and mighty. They child to live in poverty by naughty uh, naughty. Interest rates, they started to climb. Well, Bonzi Bob should be doing time. The common account is the rising deficit. We know the mango will buy the bloody mess of it. Naughty depression. There's no need for regression. It's just a recession, don't you know? Uh, thanks for that. But we know things are tough. The economy's up the dust. Ah, cracky. But we really don't give a stuff. <laughs> don't you know? Don't you know? Time for that. Wow, yeah. I think it's been about 30 years since I heard that. <laughs> yeah, that was the uh, rubbery figures, of course, with the recession rap. Uh, probably not what Elliot's saying because, of course, famously, he is not satirical. <laughs> yeah, he just tries, tries to write, rhyme career with beer and think he's making a political point. <laughs> uh-huh. But he did have a backwards on cap, so, you know, fair play. Yeah. And just I, lo- I love the fact that the episode ends mid-swear word. It's like it's just it's the perfect way to end it. I know. I've just I've got one other thing uh, which comes from the the um, frontline script book because uh, uh, we got a bit of uh, feedback from Cheryl Kernow in a fax to the uh, to everyone at Frontline. It's a handwritten fax, so it's a bit hard to read, especially because it's a very tiny reproduction in the script book. Mm. Uh, it reads to all at Frontline. You had us all rolling on the floor last night and we weren't watching State of Origin. It was uh, game three uh, tonight as well, just to let you know. You constructed the context brilliantly. Thank you for inviting me. It was a great thrill. Love the bulletin article and adore the flowers. All the best, Cheryl Curnow. Oh, delightful. Oh, they sent her flowers. That's nice. Yeah. That, that's great. And then at the end of it, she goes, Righto, I have to go. I am more interested in reading about the Fairfax Inquiry. <laughs> <laughs> so other than that, um, other than the rolling credits, uh, that concludes Frontline Season 1, Episode 7, as well as the Champagne Comedy Podcast, Episode 47. Yay, we made it. Yeah. Again. Wow. Yay. Yay. It surpassed my age in podcasts. Yay. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> So feel free to email us and uh, hell abuse at us at champagnelateshow at gmail.com. <laughs> okay, don't. I'm sorry. So send it's us some polite... abuse if possible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> as well as at Twitter, at TLS Champagne, uh, the website champagnecomedy.com, Facebook, The Late Show page, as well as uh, searching for Champagne Comedy Podcast group on Facebook. It's on private, but answer the three questions and you're in, or just hit join and I'll just accept you. And uh, you can still go to redbubble, bit.ly slash champagne comedy. But considering opening up a Patreon, uh, maybe, but um, if we do, check the show notes and see if there's a link there. So if you think that this podcast is worthy of a dollar or a tip or whatever, it's all voluntary. We're not really asking for much. It will just pay for uh, I guess the services that we pay for ourselves to get this up and going, really. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, you know, take time out of our lives to uh, make this uh, show, and you know, uh, if you think uh, it's uh, worth supporting, then uh, yeah, please do. Yeah, much appreciated. 
because this is done out of our love and passion and dedication mm. and so forth. So, and thank you as well uh, to Alison, Daniel and Kim for coming back on and also you, the listener. Thank you for using your bandwidth to download. So I'm Matt and thank you for listening. Catch you Bye. next episode. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au. The front fell off.